You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, how great to celebrate Mitch and Michael's baptism. Wasn't that awesome? We get a chance to celebrate that together. Uh, to, uh, to, two men have been following Jesus for a long time, but decided, hey, this is important, and I want to be a part of this in front of my friends and family and church, and that was just really meaningful to be a part of that. Uh, we're in a series called Stuck in the Middle. We're looking at the reality of living in between the times, in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, meaning uh, the first coming was the manger in Bethlehem. We call it Christmas. Uh, the incarnation is a theological word. Uh, when the word became flesh, that being Jesus, and dwelt among us, he came to die for his people and then rise from the grave, then he sent into heaven and we're waiting on the second the second coming of Christ his return to come make all things new to establish the new heavens and the new earth so in the meantime God has us here like living as people trying to follow Jesus in between the times it can feel often like we're stuck in the middle so through this series for seven weeks we've been talking about faithfulness like what actually it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully and so much of the cultural chaos that's happening around us so we've covered a lot of different topics, a lot of different passages of scripture we've worked through to help us see and understand how this works. It's our last week today. Then we're going to go into a series in October called Let's Go. It's going to be an exciting series for us. We'll be in the book of Ruth in November, and then it's Christmas. It comes so quick. And then the book, of, in the month of January, we're going to start the book of Acts and just work through Acts for a while uh, into the new year. So we're looking forward to what's coming for us as a church. So let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, we're thankful uh, for the gift of grace it is that our God, our creator, our Heavenly Father has spoken to us through the scriptures. What an amazing thought that we had the words of our God. I ask that we'll be faithful to that reality and good stewards of what you've entrusted us with. I ask that you forgive our sins, that you allow us to love you and love others. I thank you for Mitch and for Michael and also Craig being part of that story and just for how you continue to work in, those, in their lives. Just allow faithfulness to continue for them, Lord, we ask it. I ask you to get the enemy out of this city, out of this place. They'd be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today, as many are meeting right this moment. Uh, may the good news of Jesus come from every church in our community. Lord, we ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, uh, working through uh, mainly one verse that is very packed uh, with some, some important things for us. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, who was uh, a, a great missiologist, took, um, saw Europe as a major mission field, uh, and he talked about oftentimes what it looks like to live faithfully on mission in secular spaces, in secular climates. Uh, there's much more to his story than that. I'd love for you actually to follow along, or sorry, to look him up and try to read some of his stuff. Uh, but he said this, if the biblical story does not control our thinking, and by control, it means influence, that it is not driving our thinking. If the lens we don't see the world and this life with is anything but the Bible, if the Bible story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept into the story that the world tells us about itself. Romans 12 says that we should be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed, but by the trans- by transform of the renewing of our minds. Uh, so this is something that's all to be thinking about. Uh, that if we're not allowing the Bible, we could call it shape the narrative of how we see our lives, and another story is going to come in its place, and is going to occupy our minds and influence us tremendously. Uh, so Peter is writing a letter to a group of Christians who are experiencing that tension of living in the middle, uh, living in, just like we are in the two comings of Christ, and of trying to be faithful in a more kind of secular world, in a world that is not accepting of Christianity, and they're not going to play some victim or martyr complex. Instead, they're going to pursue faithfulness and see what that looks 
like. And Peter's instructing them of how to live. He calls them sojourners and aliens and foreigners, as in spiritually living in a place that's not their ultimate home, but again, still living here. Their citizenship is in heaven, but their address is here. And he's instructing them now how they are to live because of that. So we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter writes this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, there's an expectation there for us to be readying our minds to live for Christ. He says, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, we see the word therefore. Here he says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, and yet to ask the question, what's it there for? What is the therefore, therefore? And the reason why he's calling the believers to this in verse 13 and other verses is because of his introduction in verses 3 and 4. He says this, because of his great mercy, that God is loving and has had mercy on his people even though we have sinned against him. He has given us a new birth, that everyone who becomes a follower of Christ is born again. Oftentimes people shrink down a little bit at born again language, because it comes across maybe as this kind of southern revivalistic uh, kind of language, but the reality is it's Jesus language. Jesus himself said, you must be born again. Uh, because of God's mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the Christian hope, because we've been born into a new life because of Jesus, is an active and living hope, meaning it's not the kind of hope where you cross your fingers and say, I hope it snows this year at Christmas time. Or for me, I hope my college football team never loses to Middle Tennessee State again. Humiliating, pray for me. But it's a certain hope, and it's a living hope. And why is our hope a living hope? Because Jesus is alive. Since Jesus is living, since he rose from the grave, now we have a living hope that every promise God has made to us in Christ is going to come true, and those promises are often and mostly linked to our salvation, to God's sovereignty, to us being in his hands, and to him actually working all things together for our good to make us more like Jesus Christ, because he is for us, therefore nothing spiritually can be against us, because we are more than conquerors, the scripture says, in Christ. There's no condemnation for us. We live in that reality, because Jesus was condemned in our place. So we have a living hope, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Think about how much things change so quickly around us, here today, gone tomorrow, new fad, new trend, new ideas. And here we're told we have an inheritance that is imperishable, that's undefiled and unfading. And here's what I love about this verse as well. It's kept, that God has it. He's keeping it. He's holding it. He's protecting it for you. In heaven, for you. Isn't that great news to know that? That God has us in his hands and he is holding to his promises for his glory and also for us. So we're told in verse three, he gives us a different life, a new life, a new birth. You're dead to who you used to be and have been made alive in Christ. Also in verse three, we see a different hope. The hopes a Christian has are different than the hopes of this world. That we are hope, we have a living hope in the living Christ. And then a different future. The future that we look forward to is one that is to come. And by all future is to come, I'm aware of that but the life that is to come. 
a future that is reserved for us, preserved for us, held in God's hands, that allows us to be with Jesus. All sin will be taken care of and be wiped away once and for all. And we will live as we are first created to live, in perfect harmony and relationship with God for all eternity. So I believe that that idea, that understanding of a different life and a different hope and a different future is critical for us to remember as we're here in the middle. As we're trying to live faithfully in a world that is not our ultimate home, especially in this age of panic and outrage where we find ourselves. I call it panic culture where everything around us seems to be a 10 out of 10, where you see people panicking about so much, losing friendships over different ideologies and ideals, panic and outrage over and over again. Panic culture, because panic gets clicks online, it gets article, articles read, it sells books, it gets ratings on the news and on TV, it gets followers. It gets shares and retweets and and stories being passed along. It it really can mess with our minds. And a worldly panic is always going to equal worldly solutions. So this realm where we're often failing to be sober-minded, as Peter pointed out, and we're also oftentimes failing to prepare our minds for this life, for action, to follow Jesus... And everywhere we see those things taking place right now, where I believe many are failing, often on myself included, I never talk about anything I don't deal with myself, is the current political climate of our nation. This kind of moment and culture, this cultural moment where we find ourselves in this very tense, very tense, chaotic, oftentimes, political conversation, I believe is something that we have got to begin to figure out as Christians if we're going to live faithfully in this world as ambassadors for Jesus Christ and letting his light shine before others so they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And Peter points to two things. First thing he says again is prepare your minds for action. Jen Wilkin writes this, that Peter points us to a major source of our sin. And what is that? Our thoughts. Every sinful action we engage is the result of a sinful thought that fed a sinful desire. The sinful desires, the scriptures tell us, come from our hearts, then our minds fuel it. She adds this, we want to set our hope fully on grace. We must deal with our sin at the source. And we must renew and develop and prepare our minds. Why? Because right thinking informs right desires, which lead to right action. Now, it might be easy to say, okay, fine, I agree with that, but who are you to say who is right? And who are you to say what is right thinking and what's not? And I think that's a really good and a really fair question. And I am not the smartest guy in the room, and I am not the standard of what is right and what is wrong in this room, but I believe that Jesus is. And I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ seals the deal on who he was, and because of that, I do not put my faith in my own intelligence, in my own life, where I'm right, you're wrong, you're maybe, no, no, I put it in Jesus and what he has said and what he has done. Because the one who rose from the grave, I'm going to let frame the conversation and define truth. As I, I'm going to let, as if I could allow that. I'm going to embrace that as truth. See, right thinking is going to be a struggle and be a battle. So what Peter's saying here is you have to prepare for that. 
So the way that happens, it's not indoctrination. It's simply, I mean, it's interesting people complain about indoctrination because, like, that's happening in the world 24-7. You know, there's always something. We only know what's happening to us. It's always happening. It always has. There's always been a messaging that's taken place in the realm of communication. But the question is not indoctrination. It's what's filling my mind? Like, what's the source? Like, what is feeding my mind? What's forming my thoughts? What is setting the agenda for how I think, operate, believe, and act? See, I worry that in our hypercharged political world, that we need to make sure that this is not happening to us from Shelby Steele, who wrote this. That ideology does not precede truth. Rather, truth, as best as we can know it, is always the test of ideology. And what's happening in our climate, in our cultural moment, is the opposite is taking true. Tribalism and ideology is forming for us oftentimes truth rather than, the, rather than the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures for us forming our ideology. Now, if you're not a Christian in this room, I'm really glad you're here. Um, I am not expecting you to think like a Christian. Okay? I, I, I want you to hear about what Christians believe and hear the Bible, but this is not like any like shade at you or anything. I don't expect someone who's not a Christian to think and act like they are. I'm a Christian, and I have a hard enough time thinking and acting like I am. <laughs> so why should I expect someone who's not a Christian? What I'm saying is for the believer who actually has the word of God, who really does really truly believe that Jesus rose from the grave and his word is authoritative and alive and for us, then this must form our ideologies, not our ideologies form how we view this. It's critical. Maybe you've... Heard, read the article, I'd love for you to Google it later. It's called, I Lost My Mom to Facebook. And what that's saying is that, not in a literal sense, she still knows her mom, but mom got radicalized somewhere. Still like a regular, everyday Joe kind of person who goes and does their life and goes grocery shopping and works a job and you know, does all those kind of things, but online has become really radicalized. Everything's a conspiracy theory, like everybody's either woke or they're a you know, racist nationalist or they're somewhere, like everything's extreme, everything's a fringe, everything's an article to be shared and look at this and look at them and look at that and the person in the article's like, I don't even recognize my mom anymore. Like what has happened here? And many of us have stories like that. It might not be mom, but how many friendships have been lost over election cycles? How many friendships have been lost over people's view of masks or no masks? How many friendships have been lost on what someone thought about George Floyd? I mean, truly, like friendships and relationships broken because of these things. And what I'm saying is, for those who carry the name of Jesus Christ, it has to be different. We have to work by renewing our minds to be different. One philosopher wrote this, for all our hunger for the next bit of breaking news, we quickly forget once we've extracted the emotional charge it can give us, we are soon hungry for the next outrage, the next unbelievable headline, the next political scandal. We scroll hurriedly through our news feed looking for something to latch onto. It's often become entertainment. Where people are as passionate about it as they are their favorite sports team or their own child even. Definitely more than their church. Where it can fuel and be the driving force of people's lives. It's, it's not extreme to say that politics has substituted as religion for a lot of people in our world and for our culture. The next thing is not just to be, not just to prepare our minds, but to be sober-minded, Peter says. Sober-minded. 
He notes that setting our hope fully on Christ, as the text says, requires this type of what he calls sober-mindedness that we're called to pursue and be. So what does that mean? Sober-mindedness. So what's the opposite of being sober? Being, being drunk. People are afraid to say it out loud because their parents are here for Parents Weekend. Uh, it's, uh, it's, we know there was a home game last night. It's 11.30 service. We know what y'all are doing. No, no, so, uh, but... but uh, Called the hungover service, right? No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so we, well, right when we first started our church, we had a six o'clock service, like a morning at six o'clock. And the six o'clock crowd walk in, we'd be like, mm-hmm, you know, that kind of thing. Like, we, uh, here we go, that crowd. But we need you to keep coming to 1130, by the way, because 10's insane. So thank you for doing that. But the opposite of being sober is being drunk. And think about what a drunk person is like. The person's perceptions really alter, right? Can't think very clearly, can't often control your actions. Um, you're maybe it can be a danger to yourself or other people if you're behind the wheel or in a kind of situation that makes someone unsafe. You can be very unpredictable, very unreliable. It can make you angry. Um, it can make you unable to have any influence by wise counsel. Like try reasoning with a drunk person. You can't do it, right? Just try getting a drunk person to get an Uber, to get a, you know, a, a, it's, it's hard to reason with people because their minds aren't what they're supposed to be. Because their minds are being influenced by a foreign substance. That's why the scriptures say to be filled with the spirit, Ephesians 5, rather than be drunk on much wine. Either Christ is going to, or the, you know, the, the faith's going to fill your mind or in the spirit, or it's going to be this world. So because of that, Peter here is saying, let's not let that be our posture. And it's not, he's not writing about drunkenness here in 1 Peter. He's talking about our reactions, how we think about things. Uh, so he's urging his hearers to be self-controlled, sober-minded, because they're single-minded, as in their minds are fully devoted to Christ. They live out their salvation for Jesus. And what's happening now is the latest group think or, or hashtag or whatever is trending, it, it grabs our attention and, it, and we direct it there and we, we take in the events around us because they're, they're so targeted at us we don't realize it. And the mass media just sucks us in over and over again and we must repent of this pattern and turn from it and not be victims of it. And it's a self-imposed victimhood. Peter says fully or completely on Christ, to focus there. See, people react aggressively to something that threatens that which has become most dear to them. If you're a parent in this room, a grandparent in this room, a close friend, a godfather, a god, uncle, aunt, like, and, and someone goes after your, your kid, your nephew, your grandchild, or, or does something to be harmful, what, what's going to happen? Now, if you see any probably kid in a compromising situation, you're probably going to react, right? But if it's your kid, you can't even explain. It's something different. Something, there's, something, there's a whole different category that happens. Because something that's most dear to you. Something we're seeing happening today is, and I'm not complaining because I love what I get to do. I know what I signed up for. There's pastors who are being martyred for their faith overseas. This is not a complaint. I love what I do. But here's, here, here's something that's just happening right now. We're, we're at a cultural moment where a pastor can get away with saying something heretical, like an actual heresy, like teaching something the Bible does not teach. Before today, they could get away with saying the wrong thing, which is someone else's eyes, politically. You can get away with saying the wrong thing theologically before what in someone else's eyes is the wrong thing politically. Now you might say, well then just don't talk about politics. Well that's, that's problematic. 
Now, if I don't talk about par politics, you mean partisan politics and endorsing candidates and those type of things? That, yeah, that's a different conversation. I don't think, there's a, I don't think that's my job here in, behind this podium. I don't think that's the calling of a pastor. But so many things are actually spiritual things from the Bible that we have let our ideology and tribalism and what we consume impact us so much that our political trigger goes off in our mind and we mentally freak out when really what someone's doing is they're simply just telling you what the Bible says about a matter. So I want to be someone who is, is unapologetically pro-life and that also means I care a whole lot about how immigrants and refugees are treated. And oftentimes you can feel like there's not a political category for that. It's really like a real strong, like, like, like a, I mean like a, I'm not saying that people on both sides of the aisle don't care about those things. But there's not just like this big, there's not like a rubber stamp down the middle, here it is, no doubt about it, walk off Grand Slam. I vote exactly like this because when you're a Christian, you're going to feel tension sometimes. Why? Because we're in a world that's not our home and we're supposed to feel tension. But we also live in a, primarily how it functions, a two-party system. So because of that, it makes it complicated for, at, from, over certain matters, and there should be a lot of grace for people. So rather than declare someone a nationalist, right-wing, whatever, because they vote one way, or declare somebody this woke, out in left field, la-la land, because they vote another way, like, we, we need some grace amongst Christians to go, we're all trying to figure out how this operates. Doesn't we dismiss it and go, oh, you know, grace, we're all, no, like we prepare our minds, we think through it, we have conversations, but you can't have conversations that sharpen people and challenge people if you're not sober-minded, because the conversations get nixed very, very quickly. They say you shouldn't talk about, what, religion and politics. That's all that they'll line at dinner. It's like, how, how trivial have we become? Well, we're so sensitive that you can't talk about matters of extreme importance. And my call to Christians, myself included, is that we be different. That we be different. See, one of the byproducts of tribalization in politics is that our political identity slowly becomes primary. We start shaping one's religious identity rather than the other way around. Dave Van Drunen says that no affection Christians may feel towards their political communities can compare to their allegiance towards Christ's heavenly kingdom. I'm like, where's my ultimate loyalty? To God's people, to Christ's kingdom. Now, do, can, can a Christian be out of bounds in, in terms of what they're thinking about and, the whole, and their political views? Yeah. And we should all be challenged on that and go, wait, does this view line up with your faith? How? Those are conversations we need to have in sharpening one another. In the same way, we might uh, talk to someone about a struggle in their life or a sin pattern in their life, well, there can be views that are held that actually need to be sharpened and confronted and humbly walked through. Jen Wilkins says this, those who place their hope fully on grace, which is believers, we set our hopes fully on the grace of God, that Jesus died in our place for our sins. We could not save ourselves, but God in his mercy did not punish us as our sins deserve, but Jesus was punished in our place. What, what a glorious gospel we have. He goes, those who place, Jen says, those who place their hope fully on grace forego the vain pleasure of this world and look to Christ. They treasure a future inheritance rather than seeking one in the present. Peter's original audience was facing the loss of social, financial, and family stability as a result of their conversion to Jesus Christ, as a result of their new life, 
of their new hope, of their new future, of their new allegiance. So she says their current situation left little room for the hope of human standards. Christians do not think the government can save us. Christians also don't think the government is bad because God has established that as a ruling order for human flourishing. The problem is in our broken and sinful world, it's never gonna be done exactly perfectly or anywhere close to it. We remember that as Christians because we look to a world ahead while caring about the world here. So what does it look like to be sober-minded you know, when it comes to this realm? And I think we need to talk about this to close out our series. Like, if we're going to talk about being in the middle. We've got to figure out like, what it looks like to live faithfully. Because like, one of my mentors, Bob Evans, used to always tell me, you want to reach the world as it is, not as you want it to be. So reality is, what are people talking about? Talking about the sexual revolution. That's why we talked about it two weeks ago. Because as Christians, we should be talking about these things. With upcoming elections and all the political tension, we've got to talk about these kind of things. So I think sober-mindedness looks like this when it comes to this topic, and it's and I, what I just call hold the center. Hold the center. And by that, I don't mean be a moderate. I'm not talking political categories here. I don't mean be a moderate. There's nothing moderate about Jesus Christ. What I, what I mean is to resist the temptations to go to the fringes. To say hold the center is not a call for squishiness on core issues, but wisdom about which issues deserve your passion and energy. And try to avoid the fringes at all costs. And a fringe does not mean you have a resolute, strong conviction about something. I'm talking about what it can bring out in you and who is influencing you. There's some temptations from a group text, which is kind of random enough for a sermon, but uh, I have a group of pastors that really care about you know, Christianity in the public square, and we kind of talk regularly, like daily, uh, via group text about the things we're thinking about and those type of things. And here's what we kind of came up with together in a group text about the temptations that we see across the Christian sphere right now when it comes to this topic. And the first one is the temptation of respectability. These are things that keep us from holding the center. We see that a lot of times with progressive-leaning evangelicals, progressive-leaning Christians, where the respect of the elite or of social media or to not be seen as that kind of religious Christian person, like that becomes almost more important than the issues. Like respectability is the goal. You know, this kind of being accepted, being liked, not being seen as a certain way, not being seen as a right winger, you know, whatever it might be, that becomes most important. Like your goal in life almost is to show that you're not like that and that that is bad. Like respectability uh, can, be, can be a very, it's for everybody, but these are just more I understand I'm generalizing here, but just kind of give us an idea of what people can struggle with. The second thing is uh, is comfort. Comfort for kind of your suburban, you know, middle class, everything's fine, don't mess with the way things are. We like things, I don't want to rock the boat any. You know, I I don't want to say anything that might, you know, be a little bit controversial because, again, we're just going to keep things rolling smooth. We don't want anything to interfere. Just comfort, comfort, comfort. Like, it's a kind of feeling. It's like, don't talk about anything that's going to rock the boat. You know, Thanksgiving, there's, like, rules before you go in that are unspoken. You know, those type of deals. We see that among the group of evangelicals that I still cannot pronounce very well, so I'm going to avoid it because I butchered it at two services. So I'm going to do the third one, cowardice. (laughs) So, uh, which... Uh, It's often this kind of pop evangelicalism, kind of the Instagram Christianity, uh, kind of cool Christianity, uh, where what matters is is, uh, crowds, you know, and and being viewed as cool and hip and in touch and those kind of things, and they oftentimes will refuse to 
make any stands on anything because they're afraid that people won't come. And people might leave because you talk about certain matters. And it's just like a risk that you, as long as you're, I mean, that's just a risk you take. And, and, and it's, I, I just refuse to compromise all those things for the sake of a crowd. Because we want people that come to our church to hear what the Bible says. You know, so, so, it's one of, so that's, that's a temptation. And then the fourth one is provocation, which can be uh, definitely a temptation of more right-wing evangelicals. You just kind of always, always kind of looking for a fight. Everything's kind of like a martyr and victim complex. Like everybody's, you know, everybody's like the slightest little detection and they're, you know, written off as like woke or you can't trust that person or they're, it's just, that kind of just very, like you see the memes that a lot of people on the, more on the right send to people and post and just very provocative kind of idea. Almost trying to win an argument rather than oftentimes driving home any kind of point. So here's the thing, hashtag and slogans, they lack precision uh, they, 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 they don't work very well in a nuanced world that we're in with complex issues. So we need the courage in this hour to, to stand against the air of this age. And the air of this age is, is not just issues. It's often attitude and approach. The issues matter a ton. And I'm so thankful for anyone in our church family who works or has worked in any kind of government or public service. We need you there. I believe the political spectrum is extremely important. But what can allow you to have a deep breath is it's not of ultimate importance because God is sovereign. Jesus is on the throne. So we don't need to have a freakout scale of 100%. And we believe that God really is in control. I think we need three things. We need courage to be, prepare our minds and to be sober-minded. Courage, humility, and a deep breath. Courage, meaning we do need Christians who are unashamed of the gospel, as we talked about last week when Hunter preached. Like, who really are unashamed of this, because we actually believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and we love God and love our neighbors. So we want them to actually know this stuff, like to hear it. And we don't want popular opinion to be our God. We want God to be our God. We believe that Jesus is exactly what he claimed to be, what he did for us, how he died for us, how he rose from the grave. Like, we want to point people to that with courage. And then humility, realizing that when, in a complex system that we live in, I don't know why somebody thinks the way they do. I don't know their background. I don't know what shaped their thoughts. Like, so is there some humility to be willing to listen a little bit? I know it's trendy to go like, oh, let's listen to each other and let's just, but no, like really though. I mean, like to actually have humility knowing that I don't have all the answers. Like I don't, I have full confidence, full confidence in who Jesus is according to this word. There's no nuance there for me. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now how does that play out every day stuck in the middle? Whew. That's complicated. Thankfully, God has given us instructions and a way to be his people that he showed us, but there are certain things that aren't written exactly in the Bible, like how to handle two-party systems, how to decipher, you know, cable news, what to do with fake news and not fake news and in-between news or whatever. Those are complicated, so we have to approach those things with a mind that's prepared from the scriptures and a sober-minded approach. And then a deep breath. Jesus said that Come ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He didn't mean a nap. He meant you rest in him. There's a deep breath that we need as Christians. To go, okay, like God being in control is not a cliche. He really is sovereign. I can know what God's like because Jesus came here. And he walked with people. And we have his teachings. And we have his assurance. And he has us in his hands. We're told that this, that he, that our shepherd, our good shepherd, that his sheep can't be taken out of his hands. We rest in that. Notice that every single election is the most important election of our lifetime, the end of democracy if your party loses and everything's over, I'm going to move to Canada and all those kind of things. And, 
And then like three weeks later, you're, you're back at Chick-fil-A, you're not in Canada. You know, it's like, what happened? I thought you were moving. You know, kind of, it's just like every time, it's like Christians just need to go. Care deeply, but not lose your mind in doing so. That's pretty deep. Care deeply and not lose your mind. Courage, that humility leads to kind of cheap martyrdom, kind of manufactured martyrdom. Humility without courage leads to spinelessness. And everything being a 10 out of 10 cheapens very serious matters and is not the way of the sober-minded. So my call to myself and to you is to care deeply. You are in this world. But keep your mind because you're not of this world. We have an opportunity to show people a different allegiance. That we care about Christ, and because we care about Christ, we care about life, we care about justice, we care about goodness, we care about righteousness, we care about marriage, we care about the common good, we care about responsibility. We care about these things. Why? Because God ultimately cares about us. And we're responding, remember, therefore, what's it there for? We're responding to his mercy by preparing our minds, sobering our minds to go live our lives for his glory with an allegiance to Christ. Not an allegiance that has to change based on where you live. I don't want to have a faith that's dictated by where I live. I don't want to have a worldview or an ideology that's dictated by where I live. Even though those things are factors and experiences matter. I want to have a worldview and ideology that's dictated by the scriptures. Let that be true of us. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are grateful for your word and thankful for Peter's charge of the church. And I ask that you will help us to be the same, to prepare our minds, uh, to not compromise to the things of this world, to not allow things that are not of you to be what drives us and fills us. Uh, we're thankful for your love that you give people like me who mess up and make mistakes, second, third, fourth, and a hundredth chances because your grace is so much bigger than anything I could imagine. But I ask that we'll be, in response to that grace, be sober-minded, clear minds, that we'll be people who are consumed with Christ and that we will have good discernment, that we won't overreact, that we'll actually live our lives as if we really do believe that Jesus is on the throne and that he is Lord. That one day he will come again. The Bible tells us that all things are under his feet. Lord, let us believe that. Help our unbelief when we struggle with that reality. Thank you for our church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, we ask for more of it to make your gospel in Tallahassee and beyond. Lord, we are grateful for you. We pray for our missionaries around the world. And we ask that the gospel be made known from our city, out of this church, and to the nations. In the name of Christ, amen. Let's stand up and sing some good news.